sermon text is in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can be seated. Hope everyone is well this morning. I'm excited to discuss this text and preach from the book of Philippians with you guys. I was looking back over uh, some notes in a folder in my computer, and I think the last time that I preached at Trace Crossing uh, was a little over four years ago. So it's been quite a while since I preached here. We're in a new building. We have a whole new pandemic. It's been a lot of changes that have gone on since then. I've never preached in a mask before, which is a new thing. I asked beforehand if I needed to wear it because I think there's some rules you don't have to, but apparently it's more kind of kosher if you do. So this is me not being offensive to anyone who would be offended by not wearing a mask while preaching, which is difficult for me. Bethany often says, if I were a finger, I would be the middle finger because I'm tall and offensive. <laughs> I know you're not supposed to say those things, but it's okay. Book of Philippians is a great book to read if you need encouragement in the gospel. And I think that I know I could use that in my life during all that's been going on. I think our church could use that in a lot of ways. And as I was thinking about what to preach, you know, it's been a long time. I thought I could go with a number of different texts. It's rare that you get a, a freebie to choose. We're usually in a series going through a book of the Bible, which is my preferred way of, and our preferred way of trace crossing of preaching. You don't get to pick and choose. And then you have to avoid the temptation of just picking something that you think people need to hear because you know what people need best. And we trust the Lord in that, and that's why we go through books. And so I really looked for a text that I thought maybe I needed to read or I needed to be convicted by, and I landed on Philippians chapter 1. And I do want to do a little bit of context building on the book of Philippians because it's a little different than some of the other books that we have focused on so much when it comes to Paul's writings. And it's different in that Philippians is very much a letter of friendship comes from a place of mutual partnership, and you get that sense throughout the entire letter, which is different from, say, a Galatians, where it's really a lot of exhortation and correction that's going on. Paul's correcting them in their understanding of the gospel, or even the letters to the Corinthians, where there's a lot of correction in how the gospel is applied to their life, or in the letter to the Romans, where there's a lot of explanation of what the gospel actually is and then how it applies to how we relate to one another, which is very similar to Ephesians. But in Philippians, there's much to say about the advancement of the gospel as they partner together. And you can sense this mutual 
partnership and appreciation for one another, a mutual friendship, almost like a family together as Paul writes this letter. He even identifies himself and Timothy as servants, not as apostles, not in a, in a sense of superiority or authority toward them, but as equal servants with them. And he gives his thanksgiving and prayer as is a custom. And then in these types of, of friendship letters, what you do at the beginning is you update the reader, you update the people that you are writing to on your state of affairs, on what is going on in your life. You're giving them a brief update. And this one in the letter to the Philippians is very unique. It actually goes through the end of chapter 1. Originally, I wanted to try to do that, but we would never get there, and it would take forever. And I know that with masks on and children, we have been preaching a little bit shorter sermons recently, which is, you know, good for some, maybe not. Uh, we'll see how long this one is. I guess, is this the one that we record? So for everyone on live stream, we don't record tonight, so we can go longer tonight, right? It's also strange preaching twice the same sermon. So this is kind of like the rough draft. You guys are here for the rough draft, and we'll have the final version tonight. So if you want to come back, I don't know if there's seats available or not. But he gives this update, and it's really interesting because in the update, Paul's going to say very little about what's actually going on with Paul. Instead, he's going to shift focus toward what is happening with the gospel because of his situation and because of some enemies that might be apparent toward the gospel and toward Paul and some difficulties that he might be having with some of those who are believers in Rome. And so to catch you up to where Paul is, he is in prison currently in Rome and he is in prison because of his proclaiming Christ as king, because of his proclamation of the gospel. It has landed him in prison. And it's so interesting that he's in prison writing the Philippians. You think about when the church at Philippi came to be and Paul's presence there with Silas and just the interesting things that happened in the book of Acts where you have Lydia welcoming them to their house and then they heal and, and exercise the demons from this slave girl and that causes this big ruckus and then they wind up in jail and the Lord frees them from jail with an earthquake and the jailer is saved from himself and from his sin and believes. And so Paul and Silas, they are kicked out of Philippi. They sort of leave in the middle of the night, depart after being encouraged by the church there. And he's developed this relationship with them such that now they are sending support to Paul, financial support to Paul, and encouragement to Paul while he's in jail. And this letter is his response to that. And so it's interesting that if you read it, you're like, oh, well, he's back in jail again, Paul. Maybe God will send an earthquake. Maybe God will free him again. And Paul's going to explain exactly what's going on with the gospel while he is in jail in our text. And so I want us to really focus on that theme, it may be even written there, the advancement of the gospel. Gospel advancement. I want to define what that looks like, and then I want to look at a couple things from this text regarding the advancement of the gospel in our lives and in our church. When Paul talks about the gospel advancing in this text, what he means is Christ is being proclaimed. The truth of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and what it can mean for those who do not believe in the Lord, for those who do not have salvation, for those who are considered enemies of the cross, this is the advancement of the gospel, preaching and proclaiming Christ. This is what Paul has really dedicated his entire life to. And I have three simple truths for us on gospel advancement 
that I think come from this text, and then hopefully a couple of applications for us from the text as well. The word trumps is in my points, and I told Rory this week there is no political pun intended. First point, gospel advancement trumps external circumstance. The gospel advancement trumps external circumstance, or it is more important, more valuable than your external circumstances. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, it should say actually brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So me being put in prison and brought to Rome has actually served to push the gospel forward. How is that? Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So it's interesting that Paul has been placed in jail. We believe in God's sovereignty. So underneath the Lord's plan, Paul has found himself in prison and has been brought to Rome. He always wanted to go to Rome. This probably wasn't the way he expected to go to Rome, but instead he is brought to Rome in chains and he understands the Lord is using me being here in this jail to show the gospel to the imperial guard, to the whole, the, the, the charge of the government, most important of the emperor's guards are hearing the gospel and he's excited about the Lord doing that. The ones who you think would never hear about the gospel, they would not have an opportunity to hear the truth of Christ are instead hearing it because I am in prison. Because Paul does not see his imprisonment as a hurdle, but yet an advantage or an opportunity for the gospel. I love that he's able to take a step back, and I think this is the focus of, of his update here in entirety. He's able to take a step back from the circumstances that are definitely difficult. I think about how I would respond if I were in prison for the gospel. And we don't really face that sort of threat in our country, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the freedom that we have to preach the gospel here, to, to speak of Christ, to proclaim Christ here without much fear of consequence. But I do think, how would I respond? I wonder, how would we respond if we were in this circumstance? If we we're writing and we we're like, hey, I got to give an update on where I am. I'm in a prison cell. I'm writing to my friends that I used to be able to freely spend time with outside of a prison cell. What would our response be? Would you pray for my release, my quick release? Would you give them all the details? It stinks in here. The floor is tough. It's cold. I don't get to eat good food. Would you plead for them to start a, a, a GoFundMe so that you could hire some attorneys, maybe work on getting out of there as soon as possible, or maybe ask them to start a protest against the government for putting you in prison because it's wrong to do something like that? Maybe send them a letter with some vote for the next emperor pens and say, this emperor's got to go. He's imprisoning Christians. We've got to get him out of here. What would our response be? Would we go on a rant about how unjust it is that we are put in jail? Would we focus on all that is going on that is impacting us negatively and making our lives more miserable and less fun? Or would we focus on what is happening with the gospel? And, and we, when we look at this, we, we don't really face this type of persecution here. 
in the U.S. We're not afraid of these things, but we do have a lot that happens in our lives from external circumstances, whether it's from the government asking us to wear a mask or not go somewhere or go somewhere, or whether it's from culture telling us you shouldn't look this way or you shouldn't be that way, or if you do this, you're not going to earn success in the way that the world counts it. There are lots of things around us, circumstances around us that can be negative if we are following Christ with integrity. And I wonder if we focus on those circumstances or if we focused on how those circumstances allow us to share the gospel. How is the Lord using COVID in our church and in your life to advance the gospel? Have you asked that question? How is he using this? Or do we have a long list of how he's using it to just make life difficult? Because I'll be honest, I don't like it. It's miserable. My kids aren't here right now. They're at my dad's house. They'll be here tonight. Keeping a mask on kids in church is not fun. Not fun. And mine are at least old enough to be told to sit still, right? It's not fun to not be able to give you guys handshakes and hug one another and go to dinner with people that you miss. And there are and I'm just using COVID because it's an obvious circumstance that we've all found ourselves in. And I think we all have probably a lot to say about it. And we all have thoughts about it. And they may vary from one extreme to the other. But have we thought, Lord, how are you using this for the advancement of the gospel? More specifically, how are you using me in the midst of COVID for the advancement of the gospel? And if I'm honest, I have not thought that enough during this experience during our seven-month-long summer with kids at home and during our decisions on where to send them back and during all the changes that we've had to make in our life that have felt like we're imprisoned by, not literally imprisoned, but felt like we're imprisoned by a pandemic, something we can't even see, but it's holding us down, keeping us in our homes. I have not often thought enough, Lord, how are you using this for the advancement of the gospel? The truth is, he is and he does and he can and he will if we will walk in obedience, if we will allow our external circumstances to take a back seat to the gospel, the Lord can use that and does use that. Even such here that the highest of the guard, the ones who have access to the emperor, are hearing the gospel. And Paul is celebrating that. That's his update. He gives a second how in the advancement of the gospel in verse 14. So not only are the, the guards hearing about his imprisonment that is for Christ, in vor verse 14 he says, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So the brothers and sisters, the believers who are in Rome, are gaining confidence because they see what Paul is going through and they're emboldened. What an awesome response. They see that he's in prison and rather than just sitting there, rather than being silent, rather than trying to get out, he's bold to speak the gospel. They hear that the Roman imperial guard is learning and knowing about the gospel of Jesus and so they have boldness to now speak. And this is the thing about when we live out our faith amongst one another, it is encouraging and contagious to be bold in our faith. When you see someone or hear of someone sharing the gospel and proclaiming Christ, there is a boldness that comes to the rest of us saying, well, I could do that. 
I could be a part of what God's doing with that. And Paul is allowing his circumstances in prison to bring boldness to others, and he's not complaining about it. Can you believe that they're using me being in jail to finally share the gospel? There's so many negative ways you could interpret this if you're thinking in the flesh, but instead Paul is allowing the gospel to be proclaimed through his imprisonment, and he is excited about it. This is his update. He's excited that they have confidence. The gospel advancement, or the advancing of the proclamation of Christ, trumps our external circumstances. And I think our responses to what goes on around us reveals whether or not this truth is living in our hearts. I think about how we respond when things don't go our way. Eleven months ago, maybe or so, we were out on a boat, and it was going to be like the last day of the year that we were going out on the boat. It was kind of cold, and it was like time to put it up, and I was excited. Like, we're going to make this like a great family day. The whole point was spend time as a family together. And pretty much everything went wrong. We sucked a rope up into the propeller. That was not great. Now I have a full kit, including a snorkel mask and a knife in case that happens again. I was ill-prepared, to say the least. And we had a battery issue in the boat, so I couldn't turn the boat off. So I was trying to get it out without turning it off. And I was like, I don't want to lose a hand or a foot in case something happens with this propeller. So maybe I should turn it off. So I did turn it off. I go get it. Then the boat wouldn't crank back up. And we're in the middle of the lake, and it was pretty windy. And there's just not a lot of good options. So... I was like, oh, I was on the swim team, I got this. So I get the tube rope, which is what's left of the tube rope, tie it to the front of the boat, and I start to swim the boat in a crosswind. And boy, it just wasn't going as I saw it going. You know, I saw that day going really, like the family, we all got our arms around each other, it's a great last day on the lake, hoorah. Nope. I turn around, and the kids are sitting on the back of the boat with their feet in the water. So now I'm yelling, trying to explain the physics of drag from 50, 60 yards out to the kids. Get your feet up, you're causing drag, the boat, and the wind is blowing. And I look, and Bethany is recording me with my phone. And I was angry. This is the worst. We get to the dock, and I'm, you know, there's just a lot of frustration and maybe some tones that were not great. And I laughed thinking about this story later on. I was thinking about, I was actually in, in bed laying down just thinking, man, this is not how I saw that going. And I thought, what? I really wanted to just spend time together as a family and have fun. But we did spend time together. We were together the whole time. We hung out. We had an opportunity to face some adversity together, to discuss how we're going to solve this problem, how we're going to get back to the dock, how we're going to get the boat out. Jason Passmore, if you're watching, thanks. He saved me. He came out there on the drop of a hat and brought batteries and all that. And, and, and we did actually, could have actually had a great time together, but instead I was so frustrated by the fact that it wasn't going the way that I saw it going, that I missed all of that completely. I allowed just a little bit of negativity to ruin the whole thing. And I think about all the things that we're walking through, how often are we frustrated that it's just not going the way that we want it to go? We totally miss the opportunity that's right in front of us. How often are we focused on, this isn't the way I saw this going? Instead of, Lord, what, what are you doing here 
that I can be a part of. I didn't plan it this way, but you did. So how can the gospel go forward in the midst of this difficult circumstance? Second point, gospel advancement trumps internal drama. There is drama in the church, within the church here, and we're about to hear about it, and it's really an abrupt change Paul is excited here. He's given this update. Everything's positive. The brothers have boldness. The brothers and sisters have boldness to proclaim Christ. And then you get to 15, and it's this really weird shift. He says, some, some of the brothers and sisters, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. What an interesting thing to have going on. Some of the guys who are preaching Jesus who are bold by my imprisonment, are preaching it out of envy, jealousy, and rivalry. So looking to harm Paul. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Really saying, knowing that my imprisonment is for the sake of the gospel. That's why I have been put in jail. But the former, the ones who have the envy and rivalry, is the former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. I'm not going to lie. If I'm Paul and this is going on, I'm going to be next level angry. You're preaching Christ because you want my imprisonment to be worse? This is why you're preaching Christ? You want this to be a worse experience for me? Have you read any of what's available at this point in the Bible? Like, do you understand what it means to be a Christian? You want my imprisonment to be worse? And, and I don't, we don't really know. There's a lot of disagreement on why it is that they would do this. Most seem to think it would have to do with some disagreements with Paul that have been known in the Roman church. You think about his letter to the church in Rome. It's really interesting to think of what it could be that they don't like about Paul. Because in his letter to the Roman church... Paul is really trying to help them understand the relationship between Jew and Greek and how our faith becomes one, right? We're we're no longer Jew nor Greek, so you have to stop this racial divide where you're not accepting them because they eat meat sacrificed to this, or you're not doing this because they're circumcised or uncircumcised. We have to forget these things and understand that the gospel makes us one. That's the letter he wrote, probably around five years prior to this letter, to the church in Rome. And now he's in prison in Rome, and maybe there's some people that didn't like Paul's letter. Maybe they didn't like the, the tone that Paul took, correcting them and telling them, no, 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 you can't, you can't do this. This isn't, doesn't have a place within the church. Maybe they just didn't appreciate the way Paul shared the gospel or... Who knows what it is? There's something about Paul that they don't like, and so they're preaching Christ so that he would suffer more. That's an unusual situation to be going on in the church. And so what is his response? What would your response be? My response would be, if I'm honest, to absolutely blast these guys in my flesh. I would call the Philippians, can y'all come get these bros? Can you guys just do something? Get their Twitter shut down. Just go get them, because they can't be doing this anymore. They need to be silenced from doing this. I love his response. Verse 18. What then? Basically, so what? 
only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Man. See, Paul understood what we said in the first point, that the gospel going forward matters more. Matters more than what? Everything. Matters more than everything. I love that Paul is more concerned with the gospel going forward than he even is with his own role in it going forward. He doesn't have any jealousy. He's not thinking, well, I could preach the gospel. If they would just let me out, I would preach it better than this, or I would speak it without any rivalry. He doesn't care. If, he, if his role in the advancement of the gospel is having to suffer more because other people have ill motives, he doesn't care. He's okay with that. Think about my perception and our perception as a church and our perception in Tupelo as a church. You know, I love that one of the things that we do often here is pray for other churches as a reminder that the gospel is also going forward there and we should be praying for them. And I think about how often we instead think about how they do things in such a way that we just don't appreciate. Or other believers say things in such a way, or the way that they talk about Jesus, I just don't like that. I don't appreciate it, and it causes so much drama within our churches, within our personal relationships. It's not just here. It's every church that you're going to be a part of, there are going to be people who do things differently, who do things sometimes with the wrong motives. And rather than sitting around and trying to evaluate their motives, Rather than sitting around trying to issue some sort of correction, rather than calling the dogs on them, Paul just says, it's not important. I am not what's important. So what? The gospel's going forward. I wonder if we have that response when we get a text about so-and-so did this. Or do we have that response when someone does something and we know or we at least feel like maybe they had some ill motives toward me and that decision is our response to say what's most important is is the gospel going forth now let's be clear we can't just excuse sin what these people are doing is wrong it actually is wrong and if you look at the words here paul uses these words in his other letters rivalry jealousy those words are just used to describe people who are not inheriting the promise in other letters, which is actually a little bit encouraging to read. Those are words that he uses to describe people who aren't walking in the Spirit. These are the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. These are the deeds of the flesh. But who's Paul talking about here? He's not talking about the Roman guards. He's not talking about enemies of the gospel. He's talking about brothers. And it, it, it's encouraging in kind of a weird way that even in the beginnings of the church or from the beginnings of the church even brothers sometimes fail one another even brothers and sisters in Rome struggled as they walked as new believers to avoid walking in the flesh it was encouraging when I read that because I thought man I've, I've been there often I evaluate my own motives. Was I pure in the motives I had? 
while doing this or saying that. Oftentimes, I was not. My motives have been ill-intended toward someone else. And it's encouraging that the Lord can still use even that. Even our messed up intentions in talking of Christ to spread his gospel. Obviously, we shouldn't excuse that. Obviously, we shouldn't strive for that. But when we are on the receiving end of that, we should count it all joy when the gospel goes forth. So, gospel advancement trumps external circumstance. Gospel advancement trumps internal drama, internal motives. And my third and final point is gospel advancement trumps our grumbling and complaining. Look at Paul's response here. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And the rest of this chapter is fantastic because he goes through all of these reasons why he's rejoicing. And even if I die, I rejoice. If I live, I'm living so that the gospel goes on. I know I have more work to do in Christ, so I will. But it's all about having joy in faith with the Philippians partnering with him. And if I'm honest, in my life, when there are tough external circumstances and tough internal drama, my response is not normally to be joyful. It is not normally to rejoice in what God is doing. He's imprisoned by the government. He is hated and maligned by people within the church itself, and Paul is rejoicing. How do we get there? It's not some sort of trite little add-on to the, to the verse where Paul's like, yeah, it's fine, I'm rejoicing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Inspired by the Lord, wants us to know that in the midst of all these difficulties, he's rejoicing. He's writing this to his friends to update them. It's a great opportunity to say, I'm very sorrowful. Paul wouldn't shy away from saying that. It's a great opportunity to say, I'm struggling, guys. I'm struggling here in the midst of all this. But instead, he says, I rejoice. I am celebrating. I am full of joy. How do we get there? How do we become, and I I don't mean people who just put a smile on and pretend like everything's okay. Yay, it's fun. I guess we could put a smile on now and nobody would know because we're wearing masks. I don't mean this fake sort of, yeah, celebrate, whatever goes on. How do we actually rejoice in the midst of such difficult circumstances and such intense drama amongst ourselves and in our culture and around us? And it's very simple. We value the proclamation of Christ over ourselves. We hear that, and I heard that, and studied that, and it was like it was surprising at first. And then I remembered, this is what Jesus has said from the beginning. Anyone who wants to come after me, they're going to have to deny themselves. Paul is able to rejoice because Paul has a correct theology. Paul understands that he must die to self. This is why he's able to say things like, I am being poured out as a drink offering. I'm giving up my life. This is why in the very next 
paragraph, he says, it'd be better, I'd rather just die. <laughs> Go be with Christ. But if I'm here, I'm here because I know Christ has work for me. What a perspective on your life. What's your ambition? Well, to go be with Christ, really, but if I'm here, it means he's got something for me to do, so I'm just going to do that. What an awesome attitude to have. That attitude is not fueled by Paul's ability to be strong in the face of difficulty, Paul's ability to just muster up some joy and say, you know what, forget the circumstances. I'm tougher than all that. That's not where the attitude comes from. The attitude comes from a correct theology, a correct understanding of how important the gospel is. And I think as a church, we've really hit that mark a lot. I think as a church in whole, and we've been here, I guess two weeks ago would be 11 years since Bethany and I came to Trace Crossing. And we've been through a lot of changes in our church, and there have been some difficult changes and some trying moments. And, and some of you have been here for a long time, and some of you have been here at your first Sunday. I don't mean to scare you off, but we're a group of people, and we are all sinful and it's been that way since the beginning, and it will be that way at any church that you walk into this Sunday. But one thing that I love about this church, and it's really fun running into people. I ran into some people last week that we haven't seen in a long time. Several people, and they're like, where are you going to church now? Trace Crossing. And it was, you could tell it was like, still? <laughs> still there? Like, yeah, we don't, we're in a different building. We're not by the paint store anymore. We're in a different building. We've got a lot of different people here lots of new faces relatively new staff but man we still love the gospel and it's what i've loved about this church from the beginning the gospel has always been primary here the application might change a little bit and the way that we live out the gospel in our city we might emphasize one thing and maybe shift over and emphasize another thing just a little bit but we always land on this is what matters the most, the proclamation of the gospel. That's why we pray for other churches and don't consider them rivals. What matters if the gospel advances at those churches today as well? What matters here? Not a pandemic. Not an attitude, not a response to something. Not any of that. What matters most here is that when we show up, we're going to sing the gospel. When we greet one another, we're greeting one another as those who are forgiven in the gospel. When we preach, you are going to hear the gospel. When we pray, we're going to pray the gospel and thank the Lord for his forgiveness. And when we leave, we're going to encourage one another to proclaim the gospel. It has been central here. And there's so many times personally in my life so many times with dynamics within our church and other churches and so many times culturally in our city that we just miss it. That we miss those opportunities. A while ago, Bethany and I took the kids to Disney World. And we drove. We drove there. Now that is the measurement for every trip we take. Noah asked me the other day, is it as far as Disney was? Because <laughs> that's like a whole day. And it was. It was a long way. And it was... It was Disney, you know. It was, we're probably immune to the coronavirus because we were there. And we ate and we mingled with all those people. And it was, any Disney World fans here? Some people like fans and fanatics that go often. This was my first time to ever go. I was an adult. I swore off ever going again until every child is at least a teenager. And it was interesting. We had a lot of fun. We did as much as we could. I'll never forget, though, maybe night two... We were staying at one of the little resorts, and 
because it's a Disney hotel, it's nice. By every other standard, it's a really cheap hotel, right? If you throw that in another city, you'd be like, oh, don't stay there. That's kind of a cheap old hotel. But it's painted, and it's Disney, and it's great. And they had a pool. They had a pool there. And I asked the kids, the, the older two, do you all want to go back into the park, and do you want to watch the fireworks show, or do you, you know, what do you want to do? And they literally, they were like, we want to swim in the pool. I was like, the pool? We have a pool in our backyard, and it's actually, I think, nicer than this pool. We want to swim in the pool, Dad. And I was like, the pool, it's, it's awful. It's awful. And we're walking around, and that's what they wanted to do. So I let them swim for a second, and I just kept thinking, we can't miss the fireworks to swim in this pool. So I made them get out. They're like, get out. Dry up. We're going to the fireworks. I left Bethany in the room. I took the big two to the fireworks, and it is not easy getting on the shuttles and getting off the shuttles and walking, and they have those little watch scanners that you do, and is it a fingerprint? It's a fingerprint. It's something. I don't know. Is it a fingerprint you do? I don't know. Yeah, fingerprint, right? And you have to use the same hand every time, and Noah used the wrong hand, and they were like, oh, and then is this your kid? It promises my kid. Look at him, and sticking the other finger on there, and then we get in, and we get close, and it's packed in there, and then they started that fireworks show. Anyone seen that? It is majestic. I didn't really love Disney, but the fireworks show was unbelievable. And we're sitting there, and I've got Naomi on my shoulders and Noah like this, so I'm struggling. And these fireworks are going off, and I just thought, man, we almost missed this for the pool. We almost didn't come here so they could swim in a dirty old 1970s swimming pool at a Disney resort that probably has bed bugs. And it was just, it was the best moment for me at Disney World. And I thought about that story last night when I was going over my outline. Because, man, we, we miss the grandest thing that we are called to do. To be a part of the Lord expanding his kingdom through the proclamation of his gospel so often because we're obsessed with the pool. Because we just want it our way. want to do what we want to do. And we're like little kids who don't know there's something better. It trumps your circumstances. It trumps your drama. It trumps your grumbling and your complaining. It is sufficient reason to give you all the joy that you need. The Lord is working in and through us to proclaim his gospel so that Christ would be known throughout the nations. That's bigger than everything else. It's bigger than COVID. It's bigger than the drama that you're facing in your family, in our church. It's worth seeking forgiveness and seeking unity, and it's worth oftentimes just getting over ourselves and saying, you know what? This is better. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that we would be people who value the proclamation of the gospel, myself included. And I'm going to pray that when we leave this week, we would look for opportunities to see Christ proclaimed, even in situations that we find difficult, even when the day is not going as you planned. How can God use that for his gospel to go forth? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing together in response.